Hello and welcome to another episode of Castadon's The Fire Podcast. Um, I'm on with Mom. Hi. And we're back to The Hobbit again, chapter 13, Not at Home. So when we last left it, the dwarves are hiding in the the secret tunnel that reaches the side of the mountain. The dragon has caved in the entrance to that tunnel and has flown out of uh, the main gate in a rage, headed in the direction of Lake Town, because, you know, Bilbo's words made him think of the lake men with all that barrel rider, and um, he's realizing his terrible mistake. So, we're back to the dwarves, they're in the darkness, they... They're terrified, they're eating very little, they're not talking much. Um, Some of them sleep, but they wake up and it's still total darkness. And it feels like days and days of waiting, which it probably wasn't, but it's hard to tell time in the dark like that. And then uh, Thorin says that... Um, they should try for the main gate. Um, he'd rather... He ne- he needs to feel the wind on his face soon or he'll die. And he thinks he would rather be smashed by smog in the open than suffocate in here. So... Um, they go back and look for... Actually, no. Thorne sa- says that they try the door. And I think he actually means the door that smog smashed in. Yes. So they go back, yep. Yeah, they look and there's there's nothing to open. It's all smashed in. There's no door. There's no keyhole. It's gone. And that's when Bilbo suggests they do try to go out the other way. Um And he's gone that way twice, knowing there was a dragon at the end, so he's willing to do it again, not sure whether there's a dragon there or not. And the dwarves agree to go with him, and, well, they're dwarves, so they're a lot louder and less stealthy, and they're puffing and shuffling and making echoes and... Uh, what uh, Bilbo would have called a uh, dwarvish racket in the earlier chapters. Uh, and Bilbo puts on his ring he's, he's going along, even though it's so dark they're all invisible, even without it. And he actually falls right out of, into the, the main hall, because he um, doesn't anticipate when the tunnel ends. And just, like, falls face downward on the floor. And, well, there's no light. No sign of dragon fire. Lots of worm stench. Um, well, there was... Um, a pale white glint far off in the gloom. Um... Yeah, but that doesn't really... Not until somebody lights a torch. And then they see the glint off in the 
in the gloom. Worm stench. What do you think dragon smells like? Dragon breath? Dragon stench. What do oh, you stench? My goodness. <laughs> well, I can only compare it with alligator stench, and that's pretty bad. And how I imagine it also bad. I imagine. Uh, I've worked in various places that have collections of reptiles. And I'm imagining, like, lizard droppings heated under the lamp mixed with the smell of hot metal. <laughs> Snake poop's pretty bad, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and alligator... Uh, cleaning out alligator filtration systems um, for a tank full of them. That's something. <laughs> well, anyhow, you probably add all those stenches up together and dragon uh, stenches way above that. <clears throat> I actually cleaned out uh, the enclosure of a uh, monitor lizard named Smog. I had to uh, Smog wasn't still in there, but I had to crawl right into his den, and but at least I've got I went into Smog's den bragging rights, I guess. Uh. <laughs> so yeah, a torch is lit from Oin, and um, Gloin gets a bundle of other torches. And Bilbo starts actually climbing on up the mound of treasure. And he sees that uh, glint of light and he goes toward it. And he um, he halts and stoops for a moment and they don't know what that's for. It was the Arkenstone mentioned previously. The heart of the mountain. And Bilbo just reaches right forward, picks it up, and puts it in his pocket. And that's when he thinks he's a burglar indeed. And he supposes he must tell the dwarves about it sometime. But if he could... But they said he could pick and choose his own share, and if he could choose this, they could have all the rest. But he has a feeling the dwarves... Um... Thorin, anyway, had not had this in mind as one of the things he could choose. And I would say he was right about that. Um, they go on, and, well, Bilbo going ahead. No sight, no sound of smog, but a black shape swoops at Bilbo and brushes his face, and he, he squeaks and stumbled backward and fall, and he drops his torch and it goes out. And he, he supposes and hopes that it was only a bat, but he doesn't know which way to go, and he's calling for all the other dwarves loud. Let's forget stealth now. And calling out that the light had gone out, somebody come and find him, or find, find me and help me. Um, and 
they finally he heard help. Um, so they waited a moment or two, and it was still quiet, no dragon noises. And so Balin says, it's our turn to help. And uh, Gloin lit several torches, and then they all crept out one by one with torches and went along the wall as, as quickly as they could. So they're out, you know, looking for Bilbo. And that's when the dwarves start to really notice the treasure themselves. And... Well, the treasure, you know, that could have made anyone greedy, and these are dwarves who, you know, their passion is gold and jewels. Um, even, even some of the less greedy dwarves out there, they, they love the, you know, the beauty of the, the gold and the gems, and, well, these dwarves, they um, it says that even the most, when the heart of a dwarf, even the most respectable, is wakened by gold and by jewels, he grows suddenly bold and he may become fierce. And, um, so they're just going all over the treasure mound and picking up old treasure and, um, they're not even thinking about the dragon anymore. Um, Feely and Keely were almost in a merry mood, and they start playing the harp, and these harps are, uh... Golden strung with silver. And they're magical and not touched by the dragon because the dragon had small interest in music, so they were still in tune. So the hall is filled with melody. Um... And most of the dwarves are, you know, being practical and they're just stuffing their pockets with gems. Um, which, frankly, I probably would have done too. Um, Thorin was certainly doing some of that too, but he was still searching for the Arkenstone. And he had not told anybody yet. So, you know, Bilbo didn't know he was looking yet, even though it was in his pocket. Um, but then they started, uh, taking down chain mail and weapons from the walls and arming themselves. And Thorin clad himself in a co coat of gold-plated rings and a silver haft axe in a, in a belt. belt crusted with scarlet stones. Now, with the... The axe being silver-hafted, I'm kind of assuming that it's either like a silver plate mixed over something stronger, or maybe it's some kind of magical dwarven alloy that... Yeah, who knows? Better for this than real silver, because that's not... Oh, and uh, Thorin gives Bilbo a small coat of mail wrought for some young elf prince long ago. And it was of silver steel, which the elves call Mithril. And with it uh, went a belt of pearls and crystals. And he, he had told Bilbo to cast off his old coat and put that on. Well, in fact, Bilbo does keep the coat. But 
and it, he, I believe he wears it over the mithril. And also gives him a, a, a regular leather helmet with hoops of steel. Um, but started about the brim with white gems. And the Bilbo's feeling like he he feels magnificent, but he probably looks absurd and wishes he had a mirror to look in and how they'd laugh at him back at home and he's probably right. Um but he's also thinking that he, he would give a good many of these, you know, precious goblets for a drink of something cheering out of a one of Bjorn's wooden drinking bowls. And he's like, Thorn, we should uh, keep going because we don't know where the dragon is. He could come back. The treasure is not young. It's not won back yet. Um, We shouldn't be looking at all the gold. We should be getting out. And Thorn recovered his wits and said, you speak the truth. Let, let us go. I will guide you, even though... You know, he had been long since he had been in that palace. Not in a thousand years should he forget the ways of this palace. And, and they, go ahead. Yeah, so they they head out through um, passages and long stairs, lots of stairs, um, which doesn't really seem all that practical for the dragon to deal with it, as big as it is, but. I'm not sure the dragon dealt too much with um the all all these passages and stairs very well made because the dwarves are you know master builders um, and they get to a place where the roof is very high, and the torch doesn't even show it. And they can see a white glimmer from an opening far above, and the air smells better. So I guess they got some kind of skylights. And um, Thorne says that this is the Great Chamber of Thor, where the Hall of Feasting and Council, and they're not far from the front gate. And there's overturned tables and benches, and there's um, skeleton bones on the floor from dwarves that I guess did not get out when the dragon came. And uh, more tours, sound of water reaching their ears, and they seeing more light from outside. And that's where they get the um, the source of the running river. And it says, out of a dark opening in a wall of rock, they issued a boiling water, and it flowed, swirling in a narrow channel. Carved and made straight and deep by the cunning of ancient hands, and beside it was a stone-paved road that was wide enough for a lot of men to walk abreast. Um, and it swept. There was a sweeping churn, and um, that there's the entrance. It's out into the open. They've uh, they've found the way out. Now, when it said the river is boiling, um, do you think it meant, like, actually boiling, like it was out of a hot spring, or just, it's no, fast, it's... I think it was just being forced up fo- from an underground... Forcefully, you know, bubbling out, but not hot. river sort of thing. Because I misunderstood that in the past. 
I thought it was actually hot water, and I don't think that's what was meant. I don't think it was hot water. And so, yep, they found the way out. It's very cold out. A bitter easterly breeze with the threat of oncoming winter. Um, and Bilbo is, of course, hungry. He thinks that it's more or less breakfast time. If there was any breakfast to have, but Smog's front doorstep isn't the safest place for a meal, they should uh, get away from there first. Balin agrees. And um, says they should go for an old lookout post on the southwest corner of the mountain, about five hours' march away. Yeah, it's not going to be breakfast time anymore, will it? No, uh, no, that was, that's something that Bilbo wasn't too keen about. He was very hungry. And um, it had actually been two nights and a day that they were in Smog's Mountain. But Billboard lost count and didn't know how long it had been. And he's like, how many uh, breakfasts and other meals we've missed inside that nasty, clockless, timeless hole? And Thorne's like, don't call my palace a nasty hole. You wait till it's been cleaned and redecorated. And Bilbo's like, well, that's not going to be till Smog's dead. And where is he? He hopes that... Uh, Smog isn't on top of the mountain watching them. That disturbed them all. Definitely. Dory said, we, we must move away from here. I feel as if his eyes were in the back of my head. Um, so they do head for this five-hour walk-away lookout place of balance. And, um, on the way there, there's actually a bridge that they had to cross, but it was broken, and, um, they forded through it easily enough because it wasn't deep, but... Yeah, it was a stream, not a river, that they forded. Um, they found the ancient steps and climbed the high bank. And had their... Um, their breakfast of cram and water, and um, it says, if you want to know what cram is, I can only say that I don't know the recipe, but it is biscuitish. Keeps good indefinitely, is supposed to be sustaining, and is certainly not entertaining, being in fact very uninteresting, except as a chewing exercise. It was made by the lake men for long journeys. I'm going to say that's hardtack. Sailor's hardtack. Yeah. So think a hard cracker that is hard to even bite into, and probably made of just like flour and water, maybe a little salt. And yeah, that's it. And they had that and water, so very, very uh, blah. <laughs> you you ate it because you were hungry. Food. That's something the elves did better with their Lemba spread. Oh, that doesn't come into this story at all, so. But, had they known about it, they would have wanted it too. (laughs) 
So they, they had their breakfast. Um, they, they kept going the rest of the way to this, um, lookout place, which was a flat place without a wall on three sides, but back to the north by a rocky face in which there was an opening like a door. And that was, um, a place Bellin said it was where the watchmen used to be in the old days. And the door would lead into a um, a rock-hewn guard room. Now, this room was large. This room was large enough to hold a hundred in it. And then there was a smaller room off of it. And, he and thinks also the, away from the drafts of the cold outside more so. And the guards were too comfortable and not watchful enough, or maybe they would have seen the dragon. I don't think seeing the dragon would have helped much. I know, I was thinking that very thought Like, too. okay, you saw it, so you warned by, like, a few minutes earlier. Yeah. How are they going to stop it? Right. And they're still looking toward the mountain, expect as if they expect Spog to be just perched on top like a bird. But they don't see him. Yeah, they they look. Um, well, some of them, once they'd gotten into that inner chamber, just dropped their burdens and threw themselves down to the floor and slept. They were exhausted. Others sat near the outer door and discussed their plans. And there was no sign that even wild animals had been there in all those years. But um, in the south there was a gathering of many birds in the distance, but they don't know what that might be about. So they just, you know, look at the birds and wonder about it, and the stars are starting to come out. And that's the end of that chapter. And now chapter 14, Fire and Water. Um, now you can uh, see what Smog was doing. Um, you have to go back a couple of days to when... He had smashed the door and flew off in a rage, you know, two days ago. So he was heading off in the direction of Lake Town. And the men of Lake Town are mostly indoors because it's cold and the breeze was from the Black East. Now, in Tolkien's writing, breeze from the East is treated as like a a symbol of ill omen. Um, mostly in context of... Um, Sauron and Mordor being in the east, but this is predating that stuff. It's the Hobbit still. But, um, cold breeze out of the black east, but there's a few people out on the quays watching. Um, the stars coming out and. But most people were indoors. Because it was cold out and dark. And they're seeing flickering light on the mountain. And they're, they don't know what that is. And um, they've, they've seen it off and on again. A brief glow. 
And one of them is like, maybe it's the king under the mountain forging gold. It's been a long time since they went north. It's about time those songs about them start coming true. And another grim voice says, Witch king, as like as not, it is the marauding fire of the dragon. The only king under the mountain we have ever known. And they're like, you're always foreboding gloomy things. Anything from floods to poison fish. Think of something cheerful. And then a great light appears in a low place in the hills, and the northern end of the lake turned golden. And they start shouting, the king beneath the mountain. His wealth is like the sun, his silver like a fountain. His river's golden run. The river is running gold from the mountain. And yeah, they're getting excited about that, and the windows are opening. And But the guy with the grim voice says, the dragon is coming or I am a fool, cut the bridges to arms to arms. And then they start to warning trumpets and um, filling every container with water to put out fires and getting their weapons and arrows ready. And And they they also... uh, They cut down the bridge. They cut down the bridge. They they doused their uh, homes, everything they could with water. So... Uh, being that Lake Town is made of wood, uh, they wanted to do what they could to prevent fire. So, anyhow, they were already, you know, even though they didn't have a lot of warning, they, they, they did have warning that the dragon was coming. Although, I ultimately don't think there's much that could be done anti-dragon fortifying even if they'd had stone I mean Thorin was Thorin's uh, grandfather lived underground and the dragon still mm-hmm. well as as the story unfolds it seems like there might be a little hope for Lake Town but then more happens as as we will go into. So, yeah, he he flies to the town Smog does and he finds that the bridge is gone and his enemies are on an island in deep water that's too deep and dark and cool for his liking and if he had plunged into the water vapor and steam would rise enough to cover the land with a mist for days but the lake was mightier than him and would quench him before he could pass through now i don't know does that mean it would put his fire out or is that yeah. implying he'd drown i think it's put his fire out um so he doesn't have a place he can really land and you know burn the town that way or so he's just flying over it and trying to burn it from above and arrows are being shot at him and they're all, like some of them hit but they're falling back and not actually breaking through his scales. He He's really fortified for the most part. Um, anyhow. And the grim-voiced man, and it says his name was Bard, is running to and fro, cheering the archers on, and urging the master of Lake Town to order them to fight to the last arrow. And Bard himself had gotten down to 
one arrow him himself. Yes. Um. Oh, and he's also hang on. He circled for a while, high in the air above them, lighting all the lake. The trees by the shore shone like copper and like blood, with leaping shadows of dense black at their feet. Okay, at first I thought it was saying that he was burning the trees, but no. They're just shining like copper for some reason. Uh. I think it was the color of the flames reflecting off the leaves or something. But um. So he he's continuing to burn the town. The men are shooting arrows at him. Women and children are being evacuated out into laden boats at the market pool. Um, some of the men are starting to throw down their weapons. Um, men are cursing the names of the dwarves for bringing this on them. The master is putting himself in a great gilded boat hoping to row away and save himself in the confusion because he's a coward. And Well, a sweep of... Uh... Smog's tail and the roof of the great house crumbled and smashed down. Um. And Bard is continuing to fight on with his company of archers. And um, his companions are leaving him. He's continuing to shoot with a great U-bow. And all of his arrows but one are spent. And suddenly something flutters up to his shoulder in the dark. And it is the old thrush. And it perches next to his ear. And he is surprised to find that he can understand its language. Because he is of the race of Dale. And what the thrush says is, wait, wait, the moon is rising. Look for the hollow of the left breast as he flies and churns above you. And Bard looks up and um, as the dragon is flying over him, he says, Arrow, Black Arrow, I have saved you to the last. You have never failed me and always I have recovered you. I had you from my father and he from of old. If ever you came from the forges of the true king under the mountain, go now and speed well. And he takes aim at the spot on where Smog doesn't have scales under his uh, chest and um, shoots his last arrow and it goes right into that hollow all the way, even the feather. So the entire arrow is inside Smog, and he shrieks and thrashes about and falls on the town and um, splinters it up as he's thrashing around and dying. A steam goes up. The town would have possibly made it had he Smog not landed on it. But he did. But he did, yes. And so this uh, last arrow that brought him down actually came from the Forges of the Dwarves. And in spite of... I'm sure it had, you know, better make than average, but this was still, I think, an ordinary arrow. I don't... I know the whole thing in the movie where it's... um, 
basically a scorpion bolt. I don't think that's the intent at all, and I think it, if anything, kind of takes away from the An ordinary guy using an almost ordinary weapon takes down smog almost well, I'm guessing it was probably <laughs> iron or steel some whatever some kind of metal, and I think his other arrows were of wood, which you know shafts of wood, maybe metal points but Shafts of wood. Um. And this would probably been um maybe a six foot long longbow, um, like you know, would have been used for war. Um in medieval times. Some of those had like hundred pound draw weight. Mm-hmm. Well he he was the leader of the archers and I imagine he was probably the best among them. And yeah, this arrow you know, it had it had been used and passed down so recovered recovered each time it was used and um, so he, he put a lot of hope into that arrow and I, I don't know if it ever happens but I can only hope that he recovered it at some point in the future well um, someone would have had to dive yeah. But anyhow, that was the end of Smog and Esgarth Gorth. Askaroth. Es Eskaroth, oh, sorry. Uh which is the lake town. Um, and remember when Smog was um taunting Bilbo about where are the sons sons of um the men of Dale who would dare to face him now? Well, there's Bard. He's a descendant of Girion, the Lord of Dale. Now, Bard was not lost in this. Um, you might think so, since... Uh, he was right there when the dragon fell on the town. Right. But, he indeed was not lost. He dived from Eskaroth when the enemy was slain, he was drenched with water. His black hair hung wet over his face and shoulders. On the edge of winter, perfect time to jump into a cold lake. Well... Better than that. Better than that. Actually, much better, yeah. <laughs> um, so, about three quarters of the people of the town have escaped alive. Their woods, fields, pastures, and cattle, and most of their boats were not destroyed. Um, the town was. And the townspeople are gathering on the western shore in the wind. 
and um, they're starting to complain against the master of Lake Town for leaving the town so soon while there were some still willing to defend it. They they wanted to make um, Bard, uh, King Bard, because uh, they thought he was of more value to them than the master of Lake Town was, who was a chicken, greedy, uh, a bit of a tyrant. Filling the blank with pol- political politician stereotype. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the bar, the the master of Lake Town um, points out that Girion Bard's ancestor was Lord of Dale, not King of Eskaroth, and Lake Town has always elected masters from the old and wise, and not endured the rule of mere fighting men. Let King Bard go back to his own kingdom, Dale, which is now freed by his valor, and nothing hinders his return. Um, you know, remember that Dale was a ruin, there's no one there. Been a ruin for long, long ago. Uh, Not that Lake Town was a lot better at this point either. Nope. And, um, the people are, um, like, no, we'll have King Bard and have enough of old men and money counters, and they've started up a chant of up the bowmen, down with money bags. So that's a clamor. And the master rose to his feet and spoke very loud and clear. Why do I get all your blame? For what fault am I to be disposed? Who aroused the dragon from his slumber, I might ask? Who obtained of us rich gifts and ample help and led us to believe that old songs could come true? Who played on our soft hearts and our pleasant fancies what sort of gold have they sent down the river to reward us dragon fire and ruin from whom shall we claim the recompense of our damage and aid for our widows and orphans and it says oh that's that's how the master of lake town had gotten this kind of position he he was able to stir the people with words. That's how he'd gotten elected in the first place. And the people quite forgot their idea of you know, making Bard king and turned their anger toward Thorin and the dwarves. And some of them had even started saying that the dwarves had stirred up the dragon against them deliberately. And Bard says that they're fools. They're wasting words and wrath on these unhappy creatures who have doubt- were doubtless killed by... Smog before he came to them. And then Bard starts to think of the treasure that's unguarded now and of the master's words and of rebuilding Dale and filling it with golden bells if he could find the men. Finally he spoke again. This is no place for angry words, Master, or for considering weighty plans of change. There is work to do. I serve you still, though after a while I may think again on of your words and go north with any that will follow me. Then he strode off to help in the ordering of the camps and and 
in the care of the sick and the wounded. And the master scowling at his back as he went and remained sitting on the ground. And he thought much but said little except to call loudly for men to bring him fire and food. And as everywhere Bard goes, there's um, talk spreading fast of the treasure and how it's not guarded. And they talk of recompense for their harm and wealth over and despair to buy rich things from the south. And that's cheering them greatly. Night's bitter and miserable. They're only able to contrive shelter for a few. And of course the master got one of them. There was very little food. Even the master didn't get enough. Many of them were got sick from the wet and the cold and the sorrow, and some of them died, even if they hadn't been hurt in the dragon attack. There was a lot of sickness and hunger in the days that followed, and um, Bard has taken the leadership, but he would give orders that he said were from the master, so it didn't look like he was taking... The governance, he was, but he was making he the was smart decisions. He was acting like a spokesman as opposed to the one behind the decisions. And help arrives from the king of the elves of the wood. Um, That's because Bard had speedy messengers sent up the river. To, to the forest. Yeah, to ask for this help. And uh, the king of the elves had already received news from his own messengers and from birds that loved his folk. He already knew a lot of what had happened. Yeah, actually, a lot of the birds are sp- spreading messages about it, which is interesting. I don't quite understand how birds work in this story. Like, at first it seems like, oh, the ravens are magical, the thrush is magical, but most birds are just regular birds. But then it sounds like ordinary birds are spreading the messages, too. Well, it sounds like that maybe all birds have some element of uh, special abilities. And, well, even the eagles from further back. The eagles, too. I forgot about them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But... uh, yeah, the the birds were uh, flew, flying here and there across the sky. Above uh, the borders of the forest, there was whistling, crying, and piping. Far over Mirkwood, tidings spread. Smaug is dead. Leaves rustled and startled ears were lifted. And the elven king rode forth and um, news got as far as beyond in his wooden house and even the goblins were at council in their caves. And the elven king says, that'll be the last we hear of Thorn Oakenshield, he feared. He would have done better to have remained his guest, and I guess he meant prisoner. But it is an ill wind, all the same, that blows no one any good. And he hadn't forgotten the wealth of Thor either. So, Bard's messengers get to him, but He's already marching with spearmen and bowmen, and crows have gathered above him because 
they think that war is awakening again, which hasn't been in those parts for a long age. And the king um, hears about you know the trouble that the lake men are in. And because he was the lord of a good and kindly people, they turned their march. And um, had their way to bring help to the... To the lake, to Long Lake. And they didn't have enough boats or rafts, so some of them were forced to go the slower way by foot. But they sent great stores of goods ahead by water, because it was faster. And the men and elves, you know, cut trees and help, you know, build many huts on the shore for when the winter hits. And um, the planning for a new town that would be fairer and larger even than before, but not in the same spot on the edge of the lake instead of on it. They removed northward higher up the shore... For even after they had a dread of the water where the dragon lay, he would never again return to his golden bed, but was stretched cold as stone, twisted upon the floor of the shallows. And for ages his huge bones would be seen even in calm weather, and few dared to cross the cursed spot, and none dared to dive into the shivering water or recover the precious stones that fell from the carcass. I guess that answers that about getting the arrow back, but yeah, and those precious stones—they were referred to as diamonds earlier on. In the in his chest. Yeah. And then all the the men of arms and most of the Elven King's soldiers—they got ready to march north to the mountain. And this was it. In eleven days from the ruin of the town, uh, the head of their host passed the rock gates at the end of the lake and came into desolate lands. And that's how we end chapter 14. So as you can see, tensions are rising. You can um, see um, but potential trouble brewing in the future. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. Um, oh, another a note about the slaying of Smog. In an earlier unpublished draft, Tolkien was actually considering Bilbo being the one to slay Smog. Um, he was to sneak up on sl- Smog when he was sleeping and stab his little sting knife into the hole where there's no scales and um, Smog actually bleeds out through that and Bilbo uh, saves himself by getting into a little golden bowl and floating away in the dragon blood. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this 
connects on to Smog's dream of a small warrior with a bitter sword and courage that um, is mentioned in the published version of the book. Mm-hmm. I'll say I like this better with Bard um, shooting him in the defense of Lake Town. Uh, I don't know. This Bilbo stabbing him and floating away in a golden ball in the dragon blood, it feels wrong. Yeah, uh, I mean, okay, Smaug was a warrior and he died at the hands of a warrior. Um, and that seems much more fitting. But in, I do think that a bit of this stayed behind in the um, Smog's dream, as I mentioned, and also when the dwarves discuss about how stabbing him while he's asleep definitely won't work and would end in a worse disaster than just openly fighting him, I think that's a nod to this, um, early draft. Um, which may have been partially uh, inspired by the legend of the defeat of Fafnir the dragon in Norse legend. Uh, It's been a while since I've read the details of that, so I couldn't really properly address how much that connects and doesn't. But it is a thing Tolkien would have known about, and um, I believe that a thrush actually featured in that, and um, the understanding of thrush language. Mm -hmm. So it is related. Yeah. And there's uh, three more chapters left of the book. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. No, there's more 18, than three. 19. So. Five, five more. Five, yep, yeah, five more chapters left. And I've already read the rest of the uh, this evening's discussion, and uh, we look forward to giving you more installments soon. Thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire podcast. Goodbye now. Have a wonderful evening.